You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land, and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand. For the times, they are changing. Bob Dylan Stone Spring Maidens a tale from the New Century Multiverse. Part 1. The Fallen Maiden. Prologue. A long time ago, in a lost kingdom, where beneath the shadows men lived as beasts, there dwelled a young woman who dreamed of cogs and springs, of cares and levers. She would often fall asleep while working, and this was when these dreams would carry her to new ideas. Her inner mind was of such fire and brilliance that when she awoke, she birthed technology, the like of which had never been seen in her world. She was the daughter of two great leaders who inspired many allies and made many enemies. They sent her on a quest with a group of brave travelers, journeying across the land in her ingeniously crafted carriage to close the magical gate that led to a terrible place, through which great harm and trouble was spilling. Whilst she was away, her mother and father fell at the hands of their enemies. The young woman heard of this news and was deeply saddened. She drifted into a lasting slumber as her companions gathered around, deeply concerned that there would be no return from this one. But inside her mind, the maiden was healing herself, awaiting the day when she might return to them with the strength to proceed. One evening, to their relief, she awoke to the world of matter. They continued on their quest, and after much hardship and many challenges, the magical gate was shut and the danger closed away. But to achieve something so significant was not possible without sacrifice, and on their journey back, the travelers fell into a fearful trap. But a white knight had been sent to rescue them. Evil people had destroyed her carriage. The white knight cut off her legs in the ferocity of his wrath. 
nonetheless the young woman survived she returned home uncertain of what remained in her life the world was darker and more frightening she could not walk or run or even stand sadness and anger threatened to overcome her each time she thought of this monstrous armored demon but in her mind she dreamed of ways she could become free once more and she would have her revenge Chapter 1 The Fish and the Tree Gabriella Day 17 of Juno Late Springfall 1875 Penny turned her key in the lock with utmost quiet and ushered her best friend Ganny through the front doors of Mothwood Mansion The pair were dressed in opposing white and black school uniforms respectively and the sleeve on his right side was pinned back They snuck past the conversation room on light-footed tiptoe Penny pointed to the stairs Ganny gestured to his mouth pointedly Penny silently groaned and cast her eyes skyward as she waved him into the kitchen What do you want? Big nuts covered in scorched sugar and then rolled in smaller nuts. That's very specific. It's a craving. Penny glanced out of the window to see her father pottering in the flower bed at the far end of the garden. She hopped up and clambered onto the worktop, quietly opening the middle cupboard to peer inside for snacks. You can have small nuts covered in cardamom. Anything else? You're strangely fussy. No, I mean anything else as well. Does your mother not feed you Ferran? A severe voice rang out and Penny froze, her hand halfway into a cookie jar. They both turned to see Lamia standing with her long pale fingers knitted together. Ganny stood to attention and gave a short courtesy bow. I have a fast metabolism. Matriarch Clemence, but the mother was looking at Penthesily. Out of their young maid. Ferran, I expect you'll be staying for tea. Yes, please. Emmet, tea. Down at the end of the garden, Penny's father got wearily to his foot, and utilizing his crutches, he made his way back inside. Penny closed up the cupboard and hopped down, embracing the man as he blustered through the back door. "Hello, babe. You are neglecting your homester duties, Emmet. Fiddling in the flowers for your own delights when you should have been preparing a lavish tea for our heiress and her little friend. It shall be ready in two shakes of a balam stale, my little pirana." said Emmet sweetly and with Penny's help negotiated the kettle onto the stove. "So, what are you planting out there?" Penny asked brightly. Emmet was interrupted before he could speak. "There's no use distracting us. I know what day it is. Hand it over." Chewing her lower lip, Penny rummaged through her copper satchel and fished out a report card. Lamia took it with two blade-like digits and perused the results. "Mostly fishes. That's entirely adequate. But what's this next to sporting practice?" "I believe it's a butterfly," Penny said tightly. "Again, another one sun after sun it's as though you cannot take on board what i tell you to do can't or won't penthesily shant penny shouted inside her head her heart leaping with the fierce joy of defiance 
When I overexert myself, I get too stressed. Bad things happen to me. So drop this delusion that I could ever be an athlete. Instead of roaring any of this, she admitted in a small voice. I'm not ever going to be good at the physical side of things. Physics, yes, but physical education... Is absolutely essential if you are to be balanced in exceptionalism. Lamia snapped across her bows. Perfection at everything is not going to be possible for me. Penny began. Lamia snatched a leather-bound book from the shelf, opened it to a specific page, and Penny mouthed the exact name she knew was coming. Philippa got starfishes across the board. It's not anywhere near as hard as you're making out. It simply requires regimentation of oneself and cleaving to that with true dedication. Not this excuse-making mewling and puking. She held up a picture of a tired-looking young lady, the daughter of one of her associates. Penny could feel her cheeks burning red with a combination of shame and frustration. I got a starfish in each of the sciences, and in medicine, and in literature. Just a crocodile in history, Lamia noted sourly, and then looked at Ganymede with possessive eyes. And let me guess, Farron, you got a starfish in sporting practice? Um... Let's have it. She held out her other hand, and the young man reluctantly found his report card crumpled up in his pocket. <laughs> Ah, I knew it. Lamia held it aloft like a piece of key evidence in a court case. Yes, Ganny is great at physical endeavours. Penny began, but stopped herself before something mean came out. She clocked his expression and instantly regretted speaking up. Despite his deformity. But look at what I got for literature. A skunk badger. Penny could scarcely believe he was running with what she had been about to say. She gazed at him, full of mingled gratitude and discomfort. And poetry and geography and inland languages? Yes, yes, these are all things Penny can help you with. Lamia dismissed, then looked across at her daughter. My girl, you're weak at all things physical because you lack the drive for physical control. You should sport with him. I'm sure you could teach one another a thing or two. Penny blushed harder. And since his continued attendance hangs upon the gossamer thread of a sponsorship... You can compensate for each other's weaknesses and improve his standing. Honestly, Penthesily. If I were as lazy as you, I would never have obtained this house. Araminta bought this house with Dad. Penny shouted, only to instantly regret doing so. Lamia went as white as the porcelain cups upon the worktop. Emmett's hand trembled as he filled the teapot with boiling water. And I, said Lamia, crisply narrowing her eyes completed their triangle and rose to its point. There was a cold silence. Ganny eyed the adults nervously. I think you are forgetting who rules the world. And that is the strong-willed woman with her mind of iron. Penny bolted out of the back door and into the garden. She reached the gate and considered hopping over it, maybe just walking and walking all the rest of the afternoon and night. And then the days after that, eating when she must eat, sleeping when she must sleep, but always walking, always encountering new parts of the world, every step taking her further from here. Do you need a hand? Ganny said from behind her. She turned and embraced him before drawing back awkwardly as she felt the young gentleman melt a little in her arms. It was an odd sensation, not unpleasurable, but wrong for her. I'm so sorry you had to endure that. She breathed, keeping an eye on the back door, 
ready to scramble at a moment's notice. Gani's curiosity was prickling at the mention of Araminta. You don't talk about Araminta much. In fact, this might be only the second time I've heard her name. Doesn't matter anyway, she's dead. And if you ask me, it happened to the wrong mother. That is a terrible and inappropriate thing to say. And I heartily agree. Gani grinned darkly. I'm sorry, Pen, but your remaining mom is a hell beast. And I don't blame you for wanting to run away. Just don't go alone, okay? Oh, Gani. She sighed and leaned back against the rigid wood bars. How much further do you think we'd get this time? At least outside the city. He murmured wistfully. She looked over his shoulder to see her father making his way down the garden. She ran to meet him to save the man extra effort. A canvas bag hung down beside his crutch. I couldn't balance the teacups, he panted. So you'll have to share a thermal flask. Gani, there's a big bag of spiced cobnets in there. You're welcome to polish them all off. Sit down, Dad. Penny begged and helped him onto the white woven bench beside the gazebo. Gani began to tuck into the snack as though absolutely famished, and Penny shared the tea around. It's not fair to compare your report cards, Emmett said. You know that, right? Both of you are built very differently. A fish can't climb a tree, but a skunk badger can. That's true, said Gani, rubbing his right side. But the most important thing to remember is this. If you can broaden your perception, on a long enough timeline, they're both going to smell terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Emmett continued somewhat furtively, as though what he was about to say might get him into several kinds of trouble. Your mother is misunderstanding many things right now. Penny glanced at the kitchen window to see it now empty. But she's right about the fact that you two can help each other. I've always held to the idea that there is something divine about the balance of female and male energy. Gani's eyes fell on the tiny copper symbol hung around the older man's neck, the circlet of Tawesha, upon their frozen wheel. Emmett spotted this. The star child claimed a balance of gender, he whispered, to illustrate to us that we were not all built the same. We have different bodies, different brains, we can aspire to be like them, but what Tawesha taught us was kindness and understanding of each of our weaknesses. The Elaine all have our feet in the dirt and our eyes on the heavens, so who are we to put one kind of person above another? Penny stroked his fragile, warm and worn down hand. In her memory, there were not many evenings left of having him in her life. Paperbone had claimed him, as its effects eventually did everyone born to bear it. She valued deeply every moment and every word he had said. She only wished that the end had been painless and peaceful. It was not, and the unfairness of that haunted her.
You have been listening to episode one of Stone Spring Maidens, The Fish and the Tree, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Poet, performed by Maureen Foley. Prologue narration and Emmet, performed by Akshdeep Singh Vora. Lamia, performed by Cindy Womack. Penthesily Clements, performed by Theo Lee. Ganymede Ferron, performed by Felix Quist. Narrator, performed by Alex Shaw. Relaxing piano music, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Stone Spring Maiden's main theme, Far Destiny, composed and performed by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes including Mansion Night, Submerged, and Steampunk Station by Tabletop Audio. Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the two newest, Panthersol and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Stone Spring Maidens is dedicated to Joel Robinson, who served in the military, both as a physician and a medical director, until his retirement in 2020. Joel supported New Century and School of Movies generously on Patreon for years, until his sudden, unexpected passing. He was 39 years old. Joel, this book is about healing, and we will never forget you.